Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Information Access Committee, the 401 session. We're here with our Information Access Committee, and we're here to present lots of great information to you today. So welcome, everyone. We'll give you an opportunity to ask questions near the end of the meeting, so stay tuned for that. Co-hosting with me today is Judy. Judy, hi, how are you? Hi, Jeff. I'm doing great. Welcome, everyone. Yeah. You want to uh, kick us off here, Judy? Kick us off. Yeah. Let's How go. about with the CEU code first? That's a good idea. That's good. All right. So if you signed up to receive CEU codes, this code is for you. We'll give you the starting code. And at the end, we'll give you an end code. I will repeat it twice. And that's it. Nine F as in Frank. One, two, A as in Alpha. Again, nine F as in Frank. One, two, A as in alpha. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy. That person giving the codes is Cindy Hollis, our facilitator for the afternoon. And I'm going to introduce the committee. This is the 411 of the IAC, and that's the information of the Information Access Committee. So the members of the Information Access Committee in alphabetical order are Don Barrett, from the state of Virginia, Jeff Bishop from Washington, Rebecca, Rebecca Bridges from Virginia, Ray Campbell from Illinois, Peggy Carpenter from Florida, Brian Charlson from Massachusetts, Judy Dixon from Virginia, Satana Howery from New York, Carl Richardson from Massachusetts, Matt Selm from Kentucky, Sandra Sermons from Maryland, and that's the end of the list. So welcome everyone. And we will, we will get started with the first part of the, when I find the agenda, we'll do that. Uh, what's first, Jeff? Yeah. There's people still coming in, by the way. So welcome, everybody. We've got about uh, almost 200 here. So I, I think my work at home thing is first, Judy. Yes, is it that is. Correct? You're Ray Campbell and, and going to be talking about the technology that, many of us have been using and need to use and want to use and need to learn how to use to work at home. Thanks. All right. Has uh, Sandra Sermons joined us uh, as a panelist? Okay, not yet. All right. Okay, that changes things up just a little bit, but we'll, you know, it's, we're flexible. We'll make it work. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Ray Campbell, and I have the honor of serving as the officer liaison to the Information Access Committee. Um. About four months ago, although it seems like maybe four years ago, our world as we know it got turned way upside down with this little thing called the coronavirus pandemic. And it's certainly not a little thing. It's very serious, obviously. But among the many changes that happened to a lot of us that work, especially uh, those of us that are still working, many of us uh, starting about four months ago started working at home. And um, so what we thought we would do today is uh, I've got uh, distinguished uh, panelists uh, serving with me here and um, to talk about the, between her and I and uh, if Sandra Sermons uh, joins us, we'll uh, loop her into this as well. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, working at home, uh, what that's been like, um, training issues, technology issues that people may have had. Um, what you think the, um, you know, what training you maybe didn't get that you wish you had. 
and then talking about the future of work. Is work at home in some form or another going to be as part of the new normal going forward? So with me this afternoon, and I'm going to let her kick this off, is um, one of our other committee members, um, Satana Howery. Uh, Satana is from New York, as was mentioned earlier, and she um, has a perspective about working at home that uh, I've asked her to share. So Satana, go ahead and uh, uh, take it away. Thank you. Um, well, I am a voice actor, so I like to tell people that I run my mouth for a living and I get paid with it. <laughs> so um, I've been doing this for a number of years, which means that I have been working at home well before COVID hit. So for me, it's it's been a normal thing. Um, and I would just say that as somebody who owns my own business, I think... Uh, and and luckily gets to work from home. Some of the benefits are that I don't have to wear a mask and um, there's not a lot of exposure to other people, at least in person. I think that as blind people, even in a work environment, we are, of course, our own advocates. We have to be our own advocates. But what happens with working from home, I've got this interesting perspective from my husband. He works at a healthcare call center. And so when all this hit, he had to send all of these people home with hardware. And so many of them, these, these are all sighted people, had never worked from home before. And so I think what happens is that the kind of support that help desks are giving out to sighted people has even changed, which means that as a person who is blind, the kind of support that they're going to give to you has probably always been difficult and now even gets more difficult because not only are help desks and IT people in business settings troubleshooting whatever hardware it is that you and everybody else has, but they're troubleshooting things like your internet. How is it working? Is it working? Is it something that is on their side or is it your side? Does it really have to do with the app or is it something related to something you have at home? So I think that makes a big difference. Um, I don't have a specific presentation set up here to talk about this other than to say that it's hard to be our own IT people. And I think from working from home that even more so than working in an office, we end up having to know so many more skills than our sighted counterparts. So the more that you know about what you have and how to use it, I think the probably the better positioned you are. Ray, do you find that to be the case? Uh, yes, I do, actually. It's, it's um, you know, you really, you know, we, we really know what our needs are. And so you can, you know, What's hard sometimes is uh, you were kind of alluding to it, explaining it to help desk people and stuff like that. Ray, I can give some context from my work at Microsoft if you'd like. Let me, uh, let me, uh, is, did Sandra, Satana, did you have anything else you wanted to say or uh, was that pretty much it? Not off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, did Sandra join us? I don't believe so. Okay. Let me, uh, let me talk about my experience, Jeff, and then I'll take, throw it to you and any other committee members that would like to uh, add anything to it. <clears throat> so the evening of March 12th, about 4.30 in the evening, I signed out of my computer at the office, and I um, got up, put on my coat, and grabbed my, grabbed my bag and my white cane, walked out the door, headed for, headed for the train, headed home. Figured, now, I had planned to work the following day, which was Friday the 13th, from home because I had some personal business to attend to. 
Little did I know that that night would be the last time I'd be in my office for now going on almost four months. So that was kind of a a shock to the system. So what um, now I had worked at home occasionally uh, for the company I worked for United Airlines and I had um, on occasions worked from home. So I had things kind of pretty well set up. I had VPN set, you know, I had access to their VPN set up. I had the two-factor authentication set up. So knew how to access that. And by the way, uh, those apps were very, those, those things are very accessible, uh, which I was pleased about. Um, <clears throat> and then, so then um, March 13th, I figured, well, you know, this was really when things were starting to go a little crazy. The governor closed schools that day and uh, all that. And then I got this text from my boss on Sunday and she said, plan to work at home the whole week. Okay, a week, I can handle that. And like I said, here we are four months later and I'm still working at home. Um, so since I had worked at home some uh, occasionally, I I didn't have any specific training that I felt like I needed um, <clears throat> with the exception of one thing. And that was, that, that was because um, United made it very clear that we did not have a license for Zoom and that Zoom was very un- insecure, as uh, folks found out. And so um, we needed to use Microsoft Teams. Now, I had used Teams a little bit for a couple of things, uh, file sharing and uh, some of that. And um, uh, and that, so I had uh, had some experience with it. But uh, luckily, I found Teams not to be too difficult to use uh, because it's got a lot of keyboard shortcuts in it. And I was able to go through and figure out the things that I needed to be able to do uh, with it. We use it mainly for doing chat, chatting back and forth uh, or you know, calling each other or for meetings, uh, whether they be you know, one-on-one meetings or, uh, you know, calendar meetings or what have you, or live events that we have. So that was probably the one thing that I needed to, uh, needed to learn. Um, now I did not initially bring my laptop home. I remote accessed into it, uh, through, I connected to our VPN from one of my machines and I was able to use remote desktop connection to get into my laptop. Well, then I get a, a note a couple of weeks ago that said that the program that they were using to that I was using to do that they were going to retire it so I did need to make one trip into the office get my laptop make sure it was set up and thank goodness our help desk uh, I they were able to use a uh, <clears throat> remote access uh, it wasn't it's not team I don't know if it's team viewer it's a they basically have you type into a website and then you hit a link on the person you're talking to and then they can remotely access. There's a little thing you download and they remotely access your system. And so she was able to check and make sure I had everything set up correctly. And then I brought that home. So I did, I, I kind of lied. I've actually been to the office like maybe for an hour or two since all this hit. So, you know, the, 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 the software that I needed to use on the company laptop to get into VPN uh, again, that ha- I've been fortunate. That hasn't been too bad to use. It's pretty accessible. It's a program called Global Protect. And uh, then we use a program called Duo Mobile, which is a uh, two-factor authentication software. <clears throat> and what it basically does is you you log in, and it pops up a little thing on your cell phone, and you just tap it and approve, and then you're logged in. Uh, so that's 
how that works. Um, as far as training that I didn't get that I wish I had, nah, I really can't think of any. I, I guess I wish I'd have had a little bit more chance to uh, work with teams before uh, having to, to do it. But again, um, you know, working with keyboard shortcuts and stuff as much as I do, I didn't find it to be uh, really difficult. Um, and, uh, and that, um, as far as the future of work, uh, do I think work at home or work remote will be part of the new normal? I, I do. Um, I think that we've already seen uh, some companies, I believe uh, Facebook and Twitter, uh, have said that um, at least for the foreseeable future, a uh, number of their employees are going to work from home. With my company, it's going to be interesting because our executive vice president for technology she was not a work at home fan at all. I mean, she just said, uh, we, we, you know, we can't collaborate. We can't do this. And I kind of thought, you know, after we were kind of forced to all do it, that she might uh, come around a little bit, but she's still a little resistant, kind of old school, I guess you'd say. And uh, she's um, kind of saying, well, you know, how's it going to be when some are in the office and some are at home, you know? Uh, so uh, don't know how that's all going to go in my situation, but I think in general, uh, work at home is going to be part of the new normal because number one, you know, especially until we get a vaccine for this thing or treatment, this virus, because number one, we don't know if schools are going to open this fall. And that means that uh, if they don't, that uh, a lot of parents are going to be working at home. And so they're going to have to, because of childcare issues and that. Um, the other thing I think, I think employees are going to demand it. Um, new people are going to want to come in and uh, to the workforce or coming into the workforce or whatever. And uh, they're going to be saying, Hey, you know, I want to be able to work at least some of the time remotely. And I think if companies want to attract talent, they're going to have to allow for that, especially people that have disabilities, people that have maybe some underlying health conditions and that kind of thing. Now, and as far as I'm concerned, personally, I just want to keep on working at home as long as they'll let me, because I don't know about any of you, but uh, I am not looking forward to getting back on public transportation. And I am certainly not looking forward to going back around the office because, as I told my manager and my and our human resources partner, I've got to touch everything. <laughs> so not looking forward to all that and certainly not looking forward to having to wear a mask all day and that kind of thing. So um, and I'd kind of like to maybe take the take the Satana route here uh, for a while anyway. So. Anyway, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Um, Jeff, you wanted to add something. Yeah, absolutely. So I work at Microsoft as a program manager and working on the Windows accessibility team, working on Narrator, the built-in screen reader that ships in Windows. And, you know, our, our team is really interesting in that we have worked remotely with some of our staff before, but we, you know, when we're at the office, we tend to meet in, you know, uh, rooms and, and uh, see each other and all that. So it got very interesting when all of us started to work remotely. And I think that one of the greatest things that ever happened because of COVID is people having to really think about how they interface with people, not just from an accessibility perspective, but just overall, because everyone's bandwidth situation is different. Some people have video, some people do not. Some people 
are not able to actually see PowerPoint decks when they're attending a meeting. They're only getting the audio of the content. So it's forced everyone to really be cognizant of making sure that they're speaking and running a meeting very inclusively. And that that's really not that that hasn't happened at Microsoft before, because it does, but it, it's made it even more apparent that to make sure that everyone stays engaged and involved, that we need to just make sure that we're doing these things. So it's, it's, it's really, really great. Yep. You know, yep. so uh, any other any members want to weigh in? It got quiet, so I'll weigh in again if nobody <laughs> okay, wants to. <laughs> okay, Judy. You, you're the uh, chair. This, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> um, this is Satana, so I'll just uh, okay, toss out a couple of things here. Um, yeah, I agree with Ray that that in the future, is it going to be part of, of our future working at home? Absolutely. And I think that that can be a blessing and a curse for people with disabilities. I mean, yes, people are still going to see you face-to-face over, over platforms like Zoom and things like that. But so much of that shock value that comes when you walk into a room doesn't happen. I mean, again, so many of my clients, and, and I work with a lot of clients directly over the phone, via Zoom, on Skype, uh, on WhatsApp. I mean, I talk to my clients, um, but at the end of that conversation, most of them still don't know I can't see, even if I'm on video. So I, I, in some ways, I think it can level the playing field but I also think that, again, you got to know your stuff. You have to know your tech, even um, if you uh, if you have support. And, and I presume that this is it's been a long time since I've worked in an office for someone else. But I can tell you, I mean, I'm a Braille user and how many help desk people are going to even my husband. You know, I can hand him a computer and go, hi, give me a new install of Windows. And I want JAWS and NVDA and I want this and I want that. And he can do that. But he doesn't. You know, if I say my Braille display is doing this weird thing. It's the only person who's really going to figure that out is me. So um, so that's a bit of the curse. And, and like what Ray was talking about with Teams, there are just so many updates that pop through that we don't, uh, I mean, and I think a lot of the training, and I, and I particularly see this because I read a lot of e-learning content, it's still written as if you're looking at a screen. If you look at the upper right-hand portal of your screen, you'll see the navigation bar. No. No, not really. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, I think there's that. And I think that as we work from home, we're going to see more and more and more. And even if we don't work from home, we're still seeing more and more and more of that video-based training that yeah. can be tricky for blind people to navigate. Um, at the same time, on the great, awesome, cool side, the internet can be leveler. And boy, if you got a side hustle that you want to make into your own business, this is a phenomenal time to do it. And I'll be quiet. Yeah. No, it's a, that's great, Santana. And I think also that, um, you know, even when you go back to the office, I mean, I think, I think there's still going to be a lot of meetings, for example, that are going to be conducted over video platforms like Teams because, let's face it, uh, back in the office, and I've been reading a lot up on this, um, you're not going to have, you're not going to pack 25 people into a conference room. You may, you may be lucky if you put 10 in that conference room because of social distancing. Um, so I think, you know, so I think even going back to the office, it's, I mean, and just think of all, all the things that companies have to think about. I mean, you've got the elevators, for example, you go in a high rise building like Willis tower where I work and uh, have worked. It's, I mean, the elevators are packed and when they limit it to four people per elevator, it's going to take forever to get up to your floor. 
especially if you've got to go up a bunch of elevators and all those things. So it, it, it's going to be, it's interesting. And I think that we can, um, you know, we need to continue to, as you said, Satana, be our own advocates and make sure that, you know, when people are having those meetings that they're describing, you know, what they're, they're sharing on screen and that, and that kind of thing, uh, what for us so that we can get as much out of the, uh, thing. But there's no, I don't think it changes, for example, requesting a, a copy of the deck ahead of time so that you can look it over and, you know, read it and, you know, formulate any questions that you might have or any of those kinds of things. So anyway, do any other committee members want to weigh in? I have a comment if I may. Sure, man. Uh, yeah, thank you. So, um, uh, Ray, our experiences are similar, although I didn't know that I was going home and I'm still not back in the office yet. But, you know, one thing that I've always found to be real helpful is, you know, if you can formally. Lost you, Matt. I'm not sure what happened there. We yeah. lost. Any other uh, committee members want to weigh in while we wait for Matt to. Yeah, Matt this is Brian us. Charlson. Can I be heard? Yeah, you sure can. Okay, so a couple of things to come to mind here. Uh, while I retired just before all of this came down, the fact of the matter is I stay connected with all the people I used to work with and who used to work with me. And they are finding that things they thought were not the most effective way to do training is now something they look forward to doing. They've learned how to use components of all of the tools they've always had access to, but didn't have a need for those components of the tools. Things that allow you to take over the computer of your trainee, for example. Just, just one small example of that. I think the other thing that we need to be very cognitive of is we're going to come out of this eventually, but the world as a whole is going to have a number of things to say about how the internet functions in this new world. And the biggest word is going to be security. So many of us, because we were sent home with virtually no warning, are using our own personal equipment at home, not the office equipment. Once we start having to, for security reasons, have to use office equipment at home and deal with all the authentication issues that you were mentioning, Ray, I just see this as being a huge potential barrier if we're not active in that space now rather than waiting for it to come down on us like a hammer. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're right. Uh, anybody else? Yeah, this Otherwise. is Don. Go ahead, Don. I have to say we are so lucky for telework because I know there's, uh, I guess, around a dozen folks, blind folks at the Department of Ed where I do some part-time training. And all of them had had a chance to telework and use the Global Protect and log in and be part of the VPN process. So this was a natural trans transition when COVID hit, which was just astounding because that never, you know, if there was no telework, it would have been an absolute nightmare. Um, I think the big takeaway from that for me is that we need to be as proactive as we can be. Maybe go to our IT people and say, listen, we need access. And when you guys change things, it'd be nice to be informed early and often and make sure you consider our needs. If you've got anyone who has any kind of 
interest or knowledge about assistive technology, or even if they have some aptitude and want to learn a little bit about it, take a proactive standpoint yep. because as software changes and as new products come down the pike, just one inaccessible VPN can lock you out. So the more proactive we can all be in making sure that we stay connected, I think that's going to go a long way to helping us. Don, I, I couldn't agree with I couldn't agree with you more. I think um, too that I'm very fortunate where I work that um, uh, I've got good supportive IT and a manager who really not only supports me but will advocate for me um, in this area and help me make sure you know and gives gives me the opportunity to when new things are coming, whether it's with training materials or other IT things that um, gives me the opportunity and you know gives me time to help make sure that things are as accessible as possible, not only for myself, but for, you know, we have some other uh, blind employees throughout United and certainly try to, you know, make sure as best we can to help them out. So certainly uh, thanks for the perspective. Um, any other committee members want to weigh in on anything? Why don't we take maybe a couple questions? So uh, Cindy or Berlin, yep. if you'll tell folks how to raise their hands. So if you want to raise your hand, it's alt why if you're on a pc and it's option why if you're on a mac there's it's on your uh, app and it's star nine if you're on a phone and we have plenty of raised hands so go ahead Erlene. renee go ahead please i am working from home i'm with social security my question is jeff um in the skype that we're using for for business um and we have a very old version of windows i don't know when they're going to upgrade it I, it would be helpful if that Skype, when you have to communicate uh, with, uh, because we can't tab back and forth, it's not working. And what I want to know is, do you know whether or not um, anything is going to be in place, like for, for the government to get, uh, to get, to get training regarding Teams and how that's going to work? We have a company computer and we have the VPN, but our communication is basically Skype. And when they Skype, when you Skype in, uh, when they do it through the Zoom somehow, you can't, um, you can't um, uh, all tab and back and forth. And the instant messenger on it is very inaccessible for for screen reader use that we're using Jaws. Um, anyway, I'll. I'll yeah, you're, okay. you're, what I'd like to do is take this one offline. If you can get a hold of me, you know how to you know how to reach me. Drop me an email. We'll get you. Uh, that's 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 i know that's i know that voice that's renee zellickson it's jeff at jeffbishop.com give him yep. a shoot an email and he can help you out this can i jump in this is don i just want to yeah. say one quick thing here as a trainer i was getting all kinds of questions like hey how do i view other people's calendars with a screen reader how do i use teams how do i do fancy things with track changes and I have to tell you, the Enterprise Disability Answer Desk at Microsoft pulled my butt out of the fire more times than I care to admit. They, they are wonderful. I knew what I knew, but there was a lot these good folks at Ed wanted to know that I didn't know. And you write edad at Microsoft.com, and they got some brilliant, very helpful folks there for any enterprise application. So. I right. just wanted to make sure that got mentioned. All right, that's for enterprise customers, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Okay, um, we may take uh, one more. Um, so uh, who do we have next? Karen Schroeder. 
Okay, Hi. Karen, go ahead. Hey, Trotter, how are you? Um, well, doing well. Great presentation, you guys, as usual. Um, my question is about Teams. We're having to use Teams at work quite a lot, and I have to facilitate meetings. I, teams getting on it to, to listen is fine, but I'm trying to facilitate. What's the best way that I can do that without having JAWS try to facilitate with me? <laughs> well, he likes to get in the way there. Uh, Karen, I, I, I'm, you know, maybe uh, I, I know that Teams has some stuff in it. It's got a, I don't, I, I think that uh, it depends on what you're doing. Uh, typically, uh, most meetings, I've done a little bit of facilitating myself or, you know, scheduled you know, meetings and that. Well, no, um, I'm sharing my screen and everything. Oh, okay. You're talking about sharing your screen and everything. Okay. Yeah. Um, and if I scroll, everybody knows that JAWS is participating. Yeah. It's, that's a tough one because now, do you use, can you use Braille at all without and not have speech? Is that an option for you? It's too old and it's not compatible. Okay. Um, again, maybe we should, um, maybe we should talk offline. Um, okay. I'll, I'll be glad to, uh, if you want to, shoot me an email and maybe we can kind of talk through that a little bit. This right. is Satana uh, and I just want to throw something in. Karen, are you talking about everybody knows because Jaws starts talking or everybody knows because their screen gets weird? Jaws starts talking. Okay, so this is a case where I would say that working at home, your equipment setup may change, right? So, for example, right now, I'm sitting uh, with a pair of headphones on and you know it's you can have multiple sound cards on your computer and I know that can get a little tricky but um, you know sound cards are cheap these days uh, just little USB sound cards so that you can have JAWS going through one and you going through another oh, and if you that. have a pair of headphones on nobody hears JAWS does yep. that make sense? Yep. So All right, I'm going to ask IT about that one Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry but I believe that's all the questions right. time we're going to have for this segment but i want to thank satana and all the other committee members that uh, helped out with this and uh thank you. back to jeff and judy thank yeah, you thank ray you. thank you everybody for contributing to that session that was that was very interesting now clark retchell is gonna give us some updates from the national office before we do that judy let's just review the rest of the agenda here just kind of let people know where we're headed here after that we're going to hear from uh carl and Brian, all about uh, audio description. There's some very fascinating things happening in this space. Uh, there's also some audio description events happening during the convention, but we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then Peter Korn here and Josh are also here from Amazon, and they're going to be presenting to us again, as they did last year, all about things happening at Amazon. So everyone stay tuned for that. All right, Clark, you're up. All right. And can everyone hear me well? Yes. Well, great. And thank you to the Information Access Committee for hosting this event. Thank you to everyone who's joining us on Zoom, as well as listening on ACB Radio. So again, my name is Clark Rockfall. I'm the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. Uh, just a few items that I'd like to touch on here on my time on this panel. Um, several are late breaking, and then a couple others we've talked about before on some community events, but still pertinent and timely. So the first one, uh, there was a joint press release this week between the American Council of the Blind and a company, Patreon. So folks who have listened in to the ACB board meeting yesterday heard my colleague, Tony Stevens, Director of Development for ACB, 
uh, talk in detail on this matter. Uh, in general, or in brief, Patreon is a online creative platform. So any sort of creative art or medium, whether that's image, text, audio, video based, and Tony, I just had Tony in my ear telling me if you're a dancer, um, you can create content for Patreon as well. And it allows those independent contract content creators uh, to build an audience. You can subscribe to different channels and feeds. They build an audience and they can get paid for the work that they're doing. Previously, this platform was not accessible for people who are blind. And through collaboration with ACB, Patreon is working to improve that. So any of our independent contractors out there are, are folks, maybe folks who presented in the talent show here at the convention, uh, they can get on Patreon and build an audience for their efforts and their talents. So that's great news there. Earlier today, we had a session on accessible fitness and exercise equipment. And again, thank you, Satana Howery, for sharing your expertise with us on that panel as well. We had a, a special guest join. Her name was B. Birchall, and she is a senior software engineer for Peloton Interactive. And a lot of people know Peloton from their TV commercials. They're the company that makes the, the spin bikes and the treadmills with the 22-inch flat screen touch panel monitor where you can join live classes over the internet from your bike at home, your bike at a gym or at a, um, at a fitness center. And it allows you to enter a class with thousands of people from around the world and also see how you rank within those classes. Uh, not only is it for biking and running on a treadmill, but you can also do yoga, strength training, and a, a bunch of other types of exercises as well. Well, over uh, er, through consultation with, in collaboration with the American Council of the Blind, Peloton this week announced their commitment to accessibility. More broadly, it's an inclusion and accessibility. More information is available on their website at oneonepeloton.com slash accessibility. And part of this rollout is the addition of the Google Talkback screen reader to the Peloton bike. And this is really exciting because now uh, folks who have access to a Peloton bike, you no longer need sighted assistance. You no longer need, you know, it's no longer necessary to have sighted assistance. It's no longer necessary to use Ira or Be My Eyes. You can use the the short but button control of holding down the volume buttons to activate TalkBack. You can scroll through the menus. You can increase the speed if you want to navigate through things more quickly. Choose the classes you want, as well as hear the data from your workouts. Uh, and it will audio duck the sound of the class. So if you want to listen to your data and metrics during your ride, you can do that easily and seamlessly as well. So we'll certainly be continuing our work with Peloton Interactive to make sure that their other products, as well as the Peloton treadmill. Uh, you know, we have Peter Korn on here later. They have Peloton has recently created an app for the Fire TV, as well as their Peloton digital smartphone app for Android and iOS devices. So that's really exciting news there. Some other items that the National Office has been 
partnering on and increasing awareness about. The first I'll discuss is the 2020 U.S. Census. So the census is still ongoing, and it is important that every ACB member, every household, household is counted. There are multiple ways to do this. Traditionally, the census had to be done by paper snail mail, and that is still an option. However, that is not the only option. This year, respondents can respond to the 2020 census by phone, or you can go to 2020census.gov online and complete the census. Uh, don't hold me to it, but it shouldn't take any more than 10, 15 minutes tops. And how do you do this? So traditionally in the mail, you'd be sent a 12-digit code, and you'd have to use that code uh, as a unique identifier. And that's still the case if you're going to complete the census by paper snail mail. However, if you were calling the census department by phone, or the Census Bureau rather, by phone, you don't need that 12-digit code on your paper. All you need to know is your address and how many people lived at that address as of April 1st. That's just the, the date and time that they're using as the way to coordinate all the census responses. You can respond before April 1st. Obviously, we're well past April 1st now, but that's the, the reference point. And to complete the census by phone, you can call 1-844-330-2020. Again, that's 1-844-330-2020. And additionally, if you're going to complete the census online, you can go to 2020census.gov. And again, you don't need that 12-digit code that came in the mail all you need is your address and the number of people who reside in your household as of April 1st. So folks can complete the census online or by phone, I believe until August 11th. And after that date, the Census Bureau will be reaching out to households that have not completed the census. But obviously, with things the way they are right now with the coronavirus, everyone I'm sure would like to avoid census workers coming to our doors. So please help them out and help yourselves out, uh, either do it by phone or online. And then the final, final item that I'll discuss is accessible voting. So a lot of jurisdictions, state, local jurisdictions throughout the country have made alternative voting arrangements for primary elections, as well as the general election in the fall. In some cases, this is the limiting of in-person polling locations, as well as the expansion of absentee voting and vote by mail with a paper ballot. Here at ACB, in the national office, uh, we've had conversations with well over 20 state affiliates and ACB members from more than 20 states about the voting landscape in their local area. Because we really want to make sure that if in-person polling is going to be open, that accessible ballot marking devices are still available and that the number of polling locations aren't reduced to the point that it's you know, near impossible for folks to arrange transportation and get to those polling places. And then additionally, if absentee and vote by mail is being expanded, we want to make sure that there are accessible options available for people who are blind, low vision, people with multiple 
disabilities, as well as disabilities other than blindness. We want to make sure that everyone can exercise their democratic right and take part in the election process. So in those cases where vote by mail with a paper ballot is, is an option, in some cases, we're working with ACB affiliates to pass legislation, like w- which was done in West Virginia, and the Bay State Council of the Blind spearheaded in Massachusetts. In other cases, there's been the filing of ADA complaints and requesting the Department of Justice to weigh in and force the hands of states like we've done in New York and Idaho. And in other cases, ACB National and ACB state affiliates are filing legal challenges. Uh, And we're not the only ones doing this. National Federation of the Blind is very active on this issue as well. Uh, We're also working with the Coalition for Accessible Technology, which is a cross-disability organization of national groups here in the DC area. And as we're looking for accessible accommodations to vote by mail. That could be poll workers bringing uh, an accessible ballot marking device to a voter's residence, although this raises concerns with COVID-19 and uh, you know, social distancing. The more common solution that is picking up steam right now is the electronic transmission of ballots. So allowing voters to access and download their ballot, complete it electronically with their own IT and accessible technology. Um, And then there's an open question now of how should that ballot be returned? Like like Brian Charlson said earlier, security is a big issue. So some folks are concerned about electronic return of ballots. So in some jurisdictions, you can return, print and return the ballot by mail. In some, you can either mail in the print ballot or you can fax it in. And in some cases, like Delaware uh, and, and some other states, the District of Columbia, you can email your ballot back. So that's an issue that we'll keep working on as well. And as my time winds down here, I'm happy to take some questions if we do have time for that. But I also just want to thank the Information Access Committee for the sessions you've put together here during the annual conference and convention, as well as the community events that you all have been hosting, talking about online shopping and getting some great dialogue going um, that's really beneficial to our members and giving people information that they need to help remain socially distant, but still, you know, <laughs> still live, still get the things they need, still get their groceries delivered. So thank you all for that. We're only going to have time for one or two questions, so let's be quick. Ibrahim, please go ahead. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, hey, quite great presentation. Um, and um, you mentioned Bay State is still holding the um, effort for mail voting in Massachusetts. Is there a specific part of the website for that, or how do I get more info, info on the voting? Buck, do you want me to take that one? Absolutely, Carl. We got Carl and Brian, both from the Bay State here. So, please. so I actually work at the State House, and the latest is that there is a bill that just the House and Senate just signed requiring vote by mail and there's amendments that were put into it to require accessible voting and it's now sitting on the governor's desk to be signed uh, into law. So it hasn't actually gone into action yet. But sit tight, you'll see some news in the next couple of days. And we'll, if you belong to the Bay State Council of Blind, I'll make sure it goes out on the Bay State Council of Blind email list. Or you can 
contact me at the state house. My name's Carl Richardson. If you go to the legislature's website, my name is on the website. And I'll just add that if anyone has any questions that we don't get to answer here about the items that I raised, the census, voting, um, accessible exercise, fitness equipment, Patreon, uh, digital media, anything like that, you can reach out to the national office, uh, either Clark Rockfall or Claire Stanley by emailing advocacy at acb.org. I don't see any more raised hands. That must mean I did a good job. Uh, we got one more. Kate Crohan. I just wanted to say a very, very quick thing, a very quick thing about um, voting and how much I realize how much I miss accessible voting. And I'm so I'm really happy to hear because I am from Massachusetts about the voting by mail and online um, because we had a primary where I live um, at the beginning of June. And I realized that I really didn't feel comfortable going to the um going to vote. So I got the ballot, but then I know I had to sign it in two different places, sign the envelope, sign part of the ballot before I even completed as a part of completing it. And I wanted to minimize my contact with my neighbor who was helping me with it. So I ended up using Be My Eyes to sign it and then went over to my neighbor. So I just had to put it on her table and she could complete it with me, but we didn't have to, you know, get it back and forth. So it was sort of a unique way to vote. Anyway, that's it. And thank you for your work with that, Carl. Kate, thank you so much for sharing that. I, um, I can certainly say that you are not alone. People have concerns about in-person voting. In some cases, transportation could be a barrier. You don't know what the lines are going to be like if polling locations have been reduced and many other people want to vote in person. It could be hard to remain socially distant. You certainly want the CDC and... Election Assistance Commission have guidance for maintaining poll site uh, health and safety as well. I would strongly encourage folks, if you are interested to learn more about accessible voting, be sure to tune in later this week, Thursday evening, July 9th, for the Advocacy Boot Camp, because this will be a topic of discussion uh, with NACB member Jim Crott from the Florida Council of the Blind. And we should have uh, further information about resources available on the ACB website at that time. So please check in during the Advocacy Boot Camp Thursday, July 9th. Thank you, Clark. We are now going to move on to Brian and Carl. We're going to be talking about audio description. Okay. If Brian doesn't mind, I'll start first. Um, I'm Carl Richardson. I'm co-chair of the Audio Description Project along with Kim Charlson. And the first thing I want to do is just let you know for the week, there will be quite a bit discussed about audio description. Tonight at 7, you'll have Claire Stanley talk about her role on Pick of the Litter, and she'll play a couple of excerpts from the TV show that was on Disney Plus and audio described and talked about what it was like to be a person who was on the show. And then at 9.30 tonight, I believe, we have Joel Schneider audio describing fireworks from last year over to Washington Mall. Tomorrow, on Monday, we have Fred Brack, webmaster of the Audio Description Project, Monday afternoon at 4.15, talking about what's available as resources on the website, and that's always invaluable. And then tomorrow night at 7.30, I will be moderating a panel with folks from Amazon, Apple, Comcast, Netflix, Disney+, 
charter communications, all the folks that are involved in accessibility in the world of audio description. So that should be interesting. And then today during general sessions, we'll be announcing the award winners from the audio description award contest we had. And then Tuesday afternoon, Clark, who you just heard from, will be moderating a panel on legislative updates and talking about what's going on in terms of the FCC in audio description. On Wednesday will be, and I'm doing this all from memory, folks, so I hope I'm right. On Wednesday, the National Park will be talking about what's going on in the world of audio description, National Park Service, and how they're doing audio description for places at the National Park. Thursday um, will be all about cord cutting, how to get audio description if you don't have cable television. Friday will be two things. The first will be Joel Snyder talking about quality control and audio description. How do vendors such as Prime Video, movie studio, things like that go about hiring good vendors to produce the audio description? So from the writing to the narrating to the audio editing. So that should be fascinating. And then Friday night, we have Roy Samuelson, who has is a voice narrator for audio description and has audio described over 600 programs such as CSI and Star Trek Picard and some of the James Bond movies and Spider-Man. And he's going to talk about at the banquet what it's like to be an audio narrator. And I have seen parts of this speech. And let me just tell you guys, it is worth tuning into. So Brian and I are going to give you a very quick update on what's new since last July. We're not going to cover audio description overall, but we're only going to talk about some of the new things since last July, since we last met last year. And the, and, and the first thing is we've had two new streaming apps who have launched since July that now provide audio description that didn't do it last year. One launched in, uh, they both launched in November, actually. One launched November 1st and one launched November 12th. The first was Apple TV Plus, and they audio describe everything they put on their service, and they currently have over 30 titles. And what's cool is they actually audio describe all their titles in nine different languages. And it's not geo-locked, so if you happen to know another language and you want to hear their audio description, you can do it. There's even two versions of French and two versions of Spanish. Who knew that French people in Canada speak differently than French people in France? I, I didn't know, but apparently they do. So they have two different versions of French and two. So it's audio described in nine different languages. And we know there's also a show on Apple TV Plus called C, where all the main characters are blind. And that might be worth tuning into. So that's one new streaming service. And the other thing that Apple TV does that is unique from other streaming services, to my knowledge so far, they are the only one that mixes audio description with Dolby Atmos. So the other new service that launched with audio description this year is Disney+. Plus. And they currently have a, almost 600 titles with audio description. And they launched on day one with audio description. 
and all of their original programming audio described. But what is also cool about Disney Plus is they've gone back and audio described their back catalog. Even Snow White from 1938 is audio described. Even the first ever cartoon with Mickey Mouse called Steamboat Willie, which is like a 10-minute silent short. It's audio described. They've audio described. And they have the entire Pixar catalog, the entire Star Wars catalog, the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe catalog, a number of National Geographic. So if you're a Disney fan, that's a good show. And since Peter Korn and Josh um, are on the on this call from Amazon, I'm also going to give Amazon kudos because last year at this time, I think they had about 600, 700, 700 titles with audio description. They now have over 1,800. They've added about 1,000 over the course of the year. They've done an excellent job of requiring their vendors, their movie studios, their television studios, where they get the film from, requiring to send the files along with them. So that's to be committed. Brian is going to mention the next topic. So we have two different services, Carl, that are, shall we say, under development. We had a signed structured negotiation agreement with Hulu starting the 1st of 2020. And we're continuing to work with them on the, what do they call them these days? They call them uh, place markers, uh, milestone reporting. Things are good. They're not perfect. Uh, this is always a work in progress. want to thank Laney, Laney Feingold and a number of other different lawyers who helped us through this process. It's working quite well. And again, keep watching. Lots to come on the Hulu front. Well, I'm glad, glad before you go, some of the Hulu has made some significant, not only in terms, well, they have to audio describe the original, but with also they've made their apps accessible. The web interface is now accessible. The apps on the iPhone are now accessible. The ones on Android. So they've also improved the usability and the accessibility of the apps along with their titles. Exactly. Not just a matter. And when, when this committee is involved in negotiating <clears throat> with different companies, we're dealing not only with how much and the quality of the audio description, but also how easy the whole process is to, well, engage. You really need the apps on all these different platforms to be accessible to us and for us to be able to easily turn on and off audio description throughout all of them. And is there anything... Now, you, go ahead, I'm sorry. That, that's it for Hulu, but I want to also mention that we're currently under negotiation with um, HBO Max. This is one of those companies within a company within a company. So uh, it's really uh, Time Warner that is owned these days by AT&T. So it gets complicated when you get into these legal things. We're just one step short of signing an agreement with them, similar to the Hulu agreement and the one we started out with many years ago, at least it feels like many years ago, the one with Netflix, where there are milestones for them to achieve by certain dates following launch. We had hoped to have this out, in fact, by launch, but with COVID changing the nature of how work is getting done, uh, many of their employees, and keep in mind, this is a company that was not a computer-based company that went to media, but rather a media company going toward uh, 
technology as their means of distributing their content. So under those circumstances, we're, we're really quite confident that we will have a signed agreement in the very near future and that those of you who are getting HBO Max will be able to enjoy audio description and to do so in an accessible way. Okay, next, we're going to talk about, oh, about two months ago, um, Spectrum came out with a new app called Spectrum Access, and you do not have to be a cable customer of Spectrum. Um, many of you may remember the ActiveView app where you could go to the movies or watch something on TV and think the app on your iPhone, think the audio description, what was being played. The Spectrum Access app works very much the same way. And right now, it is only available on the iOS, but it currently has about, oh, I think between 400 and 500 titles. And the app allows you to, if you have sight and you're hard of hearing or deaf, it allows you to watch cloak captions on it. The captions sync with what's being played. Or if um, you're blind, you can watch the audio description if you're watching it, say, with someone else who doesn't want to hear the audio description. So what you do is you would start playing your video on your television set, and then you would open up the app and, and have the phone listen for um, audio markers, if you will, and then it'll sync it to that, and it'll play a combined track of audio description and audio descriptions in your headphones. Uh, I'll let you in on a little secret. What I sometimes want to think if it loses sync, you can rethink it. But what I sometimes do is I may turn on the TV set original to start a show, but then I may think it, and then I'll walk away and listen to it for a little way, a while from away from the TV set because I have it now on my phone. So that, that's something I do sometimes. So that's the Spectrum app. There's another app out there also called SoundFi, which was starting to do work when the uh, a few months ago before the COVID nineteen and the movie theaters shut down, and they have and the app isn't fully accessible yet, and and still have some things to work on. But it was an app created by um, the former audio engineers that you used to work for Sony Pictures, and they did audio description track for when you go to the movie theater. Um, but I think a lot of things have up because there aren't any movies being released and it just lost a little momentum. So hopefully when the movie theaters open up, stay tuned for more details on that one. Okay, Carl, we also have two uh, notifications of proposed rulemaking by the FCC. One of them is a fairly simple one, and that is to allow the FCC to change their use of the term video description to audio description. So there's less confusion about the use of that term. And the second is to expand the number of markets that are required to pass through audio description. I believe that's a three-year plan to increase the number of markets by 10 each year over the course of those three years. Oh, actually, it's four. So oh, right, okay. Yeah, right. So right now, by law, the CVAA, the Communication Video and Accessibility Act of 2010, only required that the television distributors pass through audio description in the top 60 markets in the country. Well, there were 250 markets, so that means that potentially there are some markets that aren't getting the path through. And there is currently, as Brian said, an MPRM on the expansion of 
going from 60 to 100 over the next 10 years, and the FCC is currently accepting comments, although the comments are going to close this week. My understanding is they often accept comments late. So if you live in 60 and above, I would suggest that you file a comment with the FCC, and you can go to FCC.gov and look for links to do so. Uh, the other the, the other thing that Brian mentioned, changing the terminology from video description to audio description, all other branches of government, such as DOJ, um, uh, you know, the folks that deal with Section 508, and others use the word terminology, audio description. The FCC is the only one that still uses video description. So this is just a cut down on confusion so there's more of a consistency and and commonality and language when people are talking so that everybody knows they're talking about the same thing okay we got to save some time for our vendors who are here on this subject but i wanted to mention two last items one is that now senator ed markey of massachusetts is on the program this week and he's going to be speaking about the 10th anniversary of the CVAA that Carl mentioned a couple of times. Uh, and I've listened to that presentation and I think you'll be quite impressed with his commitment to this issue ongoing. It does bring to a question whether or not since it's 10 years old, whether there's time, whether it is currently the time to be talking about a refresh of it. Much of what we've discussed here this afternoon has been about streaming services. And in fact, streaming services are not required to do audio description under the CVAA. They are doing it. We're happy to engage with them in how to do it well. That's why we use structured negotiation. But keep in mind that the law does not require that of them. So, as we hear from Senator Markey and others, keep in mind what kinds of things have happened in the last 10 years in technology, and does the CVAA need a bit of refresh to do that? Now, Carl, do we have anything else we need to discuss? Well, just real up? quick, um, one of the things that's going on is the FTC is launching a new standard of television called next-gen television, <coughs> so we'll have to keep an eye on that to see if that's accessible. Rumor has it that it will be, it'll be kind of an internet-based, over-the-air television. And the nice thing about this, it'll supposedly separate the Spanish track from the audio description track. So that's one thing we'll be keeping an eye on. And like Brian said, hopefully if there's a new administration, we'll be, get to talk about a refresh of the CVAA. There's many things that we could learn from what the deaf community did in the original CVAA. For instance, if it's ever been captioned for broadcast, the captions always follow. Same thing we could do with audio description track. Um, many cable providers are starting to slowly move away from cable and go into internet streaming. There are no mandates there, and there's lots of... And we don't know who to contact if you have a problem with audio description like you do with captions under the caption quality. So there's a lot of need to refresh. Stay tuned for that. And um, I don't know, Guy, do we have time for questions? Yes, we have time for a few questions. Oh, one other thing I forgot to mention before we do questions is there will also be audio described tours of a lot of, um, like the Mount Rushmore, the White House... Um, and other things on the Treasure Trove channel on ACB Radio. So if you want to hear some audio-described tours, as if you're on vacation, go to the Treasure Trove channel on ACB Radio. Anisio Coria? 
Hi, can you hear me? Yes, yeah. we can. Hi. Uh, first of all, thanks for your all your work on 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 this matter. Um, my my question is twofold. One, you mentioned HBO Max, and I'm wondering what's happening with HBO and Showtime. And Carl, you just mentioned, I guess those are not covered by CBAA, but I'm wondering if there are any negotiations. And and the other kind of related topic is I used to have Verizon Fiber, and now I have. Spectrum. And in both cases, it seems like every time I go to movies on demand, I never find anything there that has audio description, even though I know some of those movies have been audio described. But again, thank you so much for all your work. So I'll take the second part of the question because I didn't really hear the first part of the question, and maybe Brian can answer that one. But the second one, with far as audio description for on demand, often the on-demand, and I'm not saying this is right, but having spoken to people who work in the industry, often the on-demand one may be a slightly different format, slightly different timing, may have an added to, so the audio description file will not work unless they edit it or, or repack it to work with the new version, and, and many of the cable providers have not taken the time to do that. So that's just a matter of there being different formats and that sort of thing. And we haven't yet caught up where they do that, even though there are existing files. So that, that's just a matter of educating the cable companies, and hopefully we'll get there someday. Brian, did you hear the first part of the question? Certainly. We're, we're under constant negotiation. We try to knock these over, if you will, one at a time, because we have limited resources in terms of time and that kind of thing. Um, but already... The lawyers that have been helping us with the HBO Max negotiation have worked with us to queue up the next, uh, the next character. Also, keep in mind, these things are changing so rapidly right now that we don't know which ones are really going to end up with any traction. When we first started talking with HBO, it was HBO and HBO Now. Now, HBO Now is going to go away. All HBO Now customers will be pushed toward HBO Max. There'll be some legacy folks because they, that is HBO, sold the rights to do certain things to certain carriers. And until those contracts have expired, they're not going to be able to switch those individuals over to HBO Max. But all the efforts toward accessibility are HBO Max-based. Uh, you had mentioned uh, Showtime. And while I can't tell you Absolutely, that's what the next one will be. I know it's one of two under consideration for uh, approaching with this structured negotiation process. Carol? Uh, yes. Um, I'm an AT&T TV Now customer, and uh, I had emailed uh, a gentleman who the uh, American Council of the Blind had put me in contact with about uh, audio description on that service. Um, they said that uh, it is being worked on, but that um, there there are no answers as of yet. Uh, that was back in February of uh, this year. Uh, if the IAC is very interested in working with me, I would like to work with someone um, to uh, you know either either be a like a beta tester or, or work with the IAC very closely, um, on the service because I'm a, um, I'm a 
customer of of them and i want to stay with them because i can stream uh television data free being that i'm an at&t customer so what, let me suggest that you email me that is brian b-r-i-a-n dot charlson c-h-a-r-l-s-o-n at comcast.net and okay. always when we're putting these things together need both organizational plaintiffs if you will and individual mm-hmm. plaintiffs. So as a customer mm-hmm. of that service, you would qualify as an individual plaintiff. But again, email me and we'll see what we can do to engage well, in the process. I have a question specific before we, is AT&T now a cable service or a streaming service? It is a streaming cable television service. You know, I mean, they provide the, the cable yeah. channels, but they're streaming. Okay. Do they provide you a uh, digital apparatus in order to do that? Uh, well, actually, they just launched a service called AT&T TV. They do provide a digital set-top box that runs on Android. Okay. The AT&T TV Now service does not. It is a okay. pay-as-you-go okay. uh, monthly service. Also, they do have uh, some accessibility issues with the website so definitely some accessibility well we can email brian the reason why i asked whether with the cable service or streaming service i mean there were more legal obligations if it was a cable service and if they provided you the box so that's why i asked that but email brian and he'll follow up with you i want to make one slight correction in my own email address because i've had one with a dot between my first and last name for so many years it just comes out that way it is brian charlson one word no dot at comcast.net okay and and can you spell that for me just so that i that i have that it's b r i a n c h a r l s o n at comcast c o m c a s t dot net n e p and there's one more thing brian and i are going to put in a shameless plug Brian and I are starting a podcast called Picture This, and it'll be all about audio description. So please go to your podcast search engine and subscribe, and hopefully we will be talking about topics that we all covered today. Yes, again, that's Picture This, and there are a number of different podcasts out there that have Picture This in their name. So you want to look to where you find it says Picture This Audio or picture this associated with the name Brian Charlson or Carl Richardson. We have time for one more question. Viola Benson. Hi, everybody. Um, I use audio description with Comcast, and it's not the Comcast that I'm talking about. It's actually with my Prime video, and I would have asked this of, of Peter, but where do we go? And I, I maybe I, this is to do with all of them but when you find a movie that says it has it and doesn't like such as my amazon prime there's several movies that say they have it and it's on the on the website at acb.org but it doesn't who do we go to i've tried to go to amazon and contact them and they you know Peter's actually on the line now. I don't know. If I know. I know. That. But why, why don't we have Peter address this when he, yeah. he's going to be speaking next? So we can do that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Brian and Carl. Well, we will now turn to the Amazon folks. We have with us Peter Korn, the, are you the architect of accessibility. 
Um, I I uh, got demoted from architect to director. So oh, I, th the, I thought the, if you weren't the architect, you were like the guy who hangs the drywall or something, you know. Um, <laughs> the carpenter. Right, the um, carpenter of accessibility. Uh, I like that. So, yes, I, uh, I lead the accessibility effort in our device organization. And uh, with me today uh, is Dr. Joshua Mealy, who is a principal uh, accessibility researcher. Um, but that, that title does not do all of his many contributions and impact justice. Peter, let me just tell everyone that we will be um, Peter and Josh will be speaking for about an hour, and that in including questions. And at 5.15, we will take general questions for the last 15 minutes. So if you have a question about something that hasn't been covered, you will get a chance to do that. Okay, take it away, Peter. Great. Well, um, I'd like to uh, start with answering the question, and then I'll get into the rest of my prepared remarks. So, um, there, the we have an email alias for any accessibility issues that are related to our devices, and that includes audio description. That email alias is device-accessibility at amazon.com, D-E-V-I-C-E-A-C-C-E-S-S-I-B-I. L-I-T-Y at sign A-M-A-Z-O-N dot C-O-M. There are um, two reasons why a title that uh, says it has audio description uh, may not be playing audio description when it reaches your device. Uh, the first of those is we made a mistake and we thought that uh, audio descriptions were uh, either delivered to us or uh, properly attached to the title, in which case we just need to go fix it. The second reason is a little bit more complicated. Prime Video is perhaps unique in all of the video services in that you can use Prime Video to watch titles that are free with Prime, titles that are available for rent with Prime, titles that you can buy and become part of your digital locker through Prime, um, free titles through a service called IMDb Television, which is ad-supported, and uh, on many, uh, certainly all of our devices, and I think on some of the other services where Prime is available, if you ask for a title that is available for a rental fee from us, but might be free with your Hulu, Netflix, um, Disney Plus, whatever subscription, we will let you know that. And uh, unfortunately, the way that those subscription services come in through Prime Video, it is their cut of the title and that cut might not have descriptions. Uh, so you might be invited to pay nothing for a title or pay through your subscription to this other service where the title isn't described, whereas if it came from us, it would be available. On a very, very few, and we're working to fix this, we might have it both 
as part of Prime for free or for rent. And the free one comes to us in an odd way, which is, again, a different cut of the title. But please send email to device-accessibility at amazon.com and we will uh, try to figure that out and help you out and refund any fee that you paid for a title that you couldn't access. So with that, let me jump straight in. We've got uh, a lot of information to cover in a little less than an hour. I'd like to talk about what's new since a year ago in our devices. We've got lots of new devices. Um, and I'll tag team with uh, Josh to talk about the access features that are also new. So starting with our Kindle e-reader, this is the very first product that Amazon started running. Um, we uh, started making, uh, we have an all new base level model at $89.99. Uh, it comes with a backlight now. So this is new for folks who want a backlight. You don't need to pay for the more expensive paper white. As with all of our e-reader models, it comes with Bluetooth um, for audio connectivity for the VoiceView screen reader over Bluetooth, as well as Audible books. Moving on to tablets, we've got a couple of new tablets since last year. Uh, the uh, all-new Kindle Fire HD 8 and 8 Plus tablets. Those tablets are 8 inches in diagonal. What's new is they have either 32 or 64 gigabytes of internal storage. They accept SD cards where you can put up to a terabyte of storage on them. They come with two or three gigabytes of RAM, eight or eight plus. A new faster two gigahertz quad core processor, a USB-C charging cable. They also support wireless charging if you want to put it onto a wireless mat like you might use with the new iPhones and iPads. Uh, like all tablets, they support hands-free Alexa. So as long as you're fairly close to the tablet and you have that feature turned on, you can just wake her up with your voice. We also have a new 10-inch tablet uh, starting at $149.99, uh, coming in 32 or 64 gigabyte internal storage models up to half a terabyte on an SD card. It has a new two gigahertz octo-core processor, eight little processors running away in that to give you a very fast and snappy interface, USB-C and hands-free Alexa. Like all of our Fire tablets, they run Fire OS. Fire OS is our variant of Android. We've done a number of things to improve uh, the experience for our customers, including improvements to accessibility. We have extended the accessibility API. We have brought our own assistive technologies, such as the VoiceView screen reader that you'll hear about a bit more about from Josh, uh, a full screen magnifier that magnifies to 10x, uh, as opposed to the Android magnifier, much larger large fonts, high contrast print options, etc. Uh, so with that, let me hand the baton over to Josh. Hey, everybody. Um, 
My name is Josh Mealy. I'm, uh, as Peter mentioned, a researcher at Amazon. I'm blind. I do um, uh, a lot of work around the uh, voice view screen reader and other other Amazon um, uh, accessibility work. So um, just to to sort of underscore what Peter said, he just told you about a bunch of tablets that we um, have recently released. Of course, we have lots of um, lots of devices with screens, including TVs that we'll talk about in a minute. All of them run uh, our Voice View screen reader. All of them run our magnifier. These are um, these are uh, just ready to go out of the box. You don't need to uh, download or install anything to to get started with an accessible experience on our tablets. Um, it works. Um, it works very similarly to the way you would expect other screen readers uh, that you might have used uh, to work. You use a, a set of very familiar gestures on the screen to navigate forward and backward and touch explore to find the uh, things you want. Our tablets are great for, um, of course, for uh, doing all kinds of things, um, but because they're Amazon tablets, they're particularly great for doing Amazon-y things like shopping and watching Prime Video and listening to your Audible books and reading your Kindle books. So, um, the voice view screen reader and our magnifier uh, are um, uh, extremely useful if you have a visual disability and you want to be able to do that stuff. Um, just for those who haven't used uh, or haven't, you know, um, played with our screen reader before, it is an extremely familiar experience. Um, when you first launch it, it um, gives you the opportunity to go through a tutorial. It, uh, you know, leads you through a series of exercises on how to use the screen reader. It gives you the opportunity to set up uh, some shortcuts to turn the screen reader on and off. And, um, and so, uh, as, you know, as great as it is, we continue to add features and we're um, very proud now uh, to bring you a recently released feature, which is Braille screen input. We know that, um, you know, working with a working with a, an on-screen keyboard can be extremely irritating and slow. Uh, and many people who do know Braille can benefit from a Braille screen input system, so that you can actually type in Braille on the surface of the screen. Um, we have uh, recently, you know, updated Voice View to allow you to add um, to use Braille screen input in any um, in any edit field. I recorded uh, just because demos are what they are, and um, and we don't want to you know waste your time with a, a failed demo. I recorded a demo for you uh, last night, and uh, we can play that for you now. Just for those for those of you who uh, might have caught the uh, the bits uh, session in our last hour, Peter and I are going to be sort of covering uh, some some similar grounds. So, um, but we will uh, we will be taking questions at the end, and the questions may be different, and we may you may catch something this time that you if you were here a little while ago that we that you didn't catch last time. So let's play the. Um, the Braille screen input demo, and then we'll pick it up after that. Great. Um, I uh, failed to do an audio check beforehand. Um, Cindy or, or, or Erlene, if you can make me a co-host, I should be able to uh, stream some audio into this. Right now, I can't share my screen, which is how I would get the audio to you. And so while you're doing that, um, 
I'll skip forward to some other stuff so that we don't waste time. We can return to that. So um, we talked about uh, audio description. Carl and and uh, Brian gave us a great overview of what's happening in the world of audio description. One of the things that we've added to Fire OS is the ability to, um, in the system settings, uh, have a checkbox that says prefer audio description. So that means that whenever there is audio description available and when the uh, the audio when the um, streaming service is uh, checking for it, certainly Prime Video will check for it. But um, uh, we and we encourage everybody else to check for it too. But this should bring you uh, audio description when you have it checked and audio description is available. Um, we also have brought dictation to all the keyboards on um, on Fire OS. So when uh, whenever you're in an edit field, um, you have the opportunity to uh, tap a dictation button so that you can dictate into that edit field. Um, this is new on Fire OS, and of course, Voice View works with it um, very nicely. So the uh, the you know that that's similar in a lot of ways to Braille screen input because what we want to be able to do is um, make it easier and smoother for you to uh, do what you want, whether it's searching for a video, uh, writing an email, or um, or you know doing some shopping, etc. Um, let's see. Tell me if we're are we to, at a place where we can set, play that video, play that play the demo. Uh we do not yet appear to be there. I have not been okay. granted the necessary permissions. So we may we may just continue on, and at, at such point as our co-hosts have uh, enabled it, we will we will insert our demos. I again apologize for not uh, having made sure this was working before we started. And if if we wind up not being able to do those demos, I'll um, I'll be I'll give you some. Um, more more detailed descriptions of how the Braille screen input experience works. Should we proceed on to Fire TV, Peter? Absolutely. So Fire TV is one of the uh, great ways of enjoying Prime Video with, with audio descriptions. We've introduced a bunch of new devices since last year, so I'm going to go through those quickly. Um, we have a new Fire TV stick. This stick is slightly larger than the old stick with a remote that has a couple more buttons on it, and it introduces 4K Ultra HD uh, capabilities, as well as Dolby Vision, which is a technology for uh, greater visual color depth and greater um, contrast of those colors. So a bright you know, uh, sunset, but you can also see the foreground that might otherwise be fairly dark. We also support HDR and HDR 10 plus, uh, all for $49.99 list price. We have an all new Fire TV Cube. Uh, the Fire TV Cube is a is a mashup of an uh, Amazon Echo Dot with a Fire TV stick. So you can do um, uh, you can ask her to uh, tune into shows. Uh, from across the room with, with wake word detection. It also supports Dolby Vision, HDR, HDR 10 plus, uh, a faster, snappier new processor in there. Uh, we've now gotten into the soundbar business. The Nebula soundbar is 
um, a bar filled with great sounding speakers, a fire TV technology, uh, as well as far field Alexa voice recognition, plus 4K Ultra HD, Dolby Vision, HDR10, HDR10, plus all four 119, uh, sorry, all four uh, 229.99. Um, I realize I failed to mention something uh, important and nifty about the Fire TV Cube. The Cube comes with an infrared emitter that you can plug into the Cube and position in front of other parts of your home theater setup, if you have a home theater, and that will emit infrared commands to the rest of your system, uh, which allows you to ask the A-Lady to turn your cable box on, to tune to a particular cable channel, and the cube will emit that infrared and do that. We actually also have a standalone infrared emitter uh, that you can buy and add to your system to use uh, from Alexa as well. So voice enabling more of your legacy devices. We have continued our great relationship with Best Buy and their home TV brands Insignia and Toshiba. We now have a plethora of uh, TV options. These are Fire TV Edition televisions. They start at $149.99 and go up to $379.99. They range in size from 24-inch diagonal with a 720p uh, video stream to 50-inch 4K Ultra HD Dolby Vision, etc. And these have the full Fire TV experience, Alexa, not far-field Alexa on the televisions. You need the remote for that or to pair it with uh, an Echo or an Echo Dot. Um, but they come with all of the access features like voice view screen reader, um, the magnifier, and a new feature that we'll be talking about in a moment, text banner. And if the uh, streaming share screening gods are cooperative, uh, we'll also have a, a demo of that. Um, Fire TV is running Fire OS. Fire OS supports applications, and you can download onto a Fire TV stick, cube, soundbar, TV, um, apps like uh, your Netflix app, your Hulu app, your Disney Plus app, your Apple TV Plus app. And uh, if these services support audio description, you are able to enjoy that on your Fire TV. Um, all of these apps are generally either working well with the VoiceView screen reader, or they have chosen the self-voicing route. Netflix is a self-voicing app on Fire TV. It's still perfectly accessible, um, but if you speed up the speaking rate, uh, Hulu, uh, sorry, Netflix is not aware of that, and so will still speak at its normal rate. Let me see if I have been granted screen share. Still not yet. Uh, Cindy, Erlene, is there anything you can do to help us with that? Um, I, I can work on that. I, Cindy, I'm you, trying to figure it out. Screen share. If you turn screen sharing on, I think you can make them co-hosts in. Or if you can make me a co- yeah, just making me a co-host worked. Yeah, uh, I'll just do that. That would be great, Cindy. I really appreciate okay. it. Okay. 
I'll start talking about uh, TextBanner, and then perhaps we'll be able to give you some recorded demos. TextBanner came about when um, a couple of our uh, accessibility engineers uh, met um, uh, some some low vision uh, attendees at, a, at a, the CSUN Assistive Technology Conference, and they said, you know, it's it's great that you've got a magnifier, it's great that you've got voice view, but you know, our our problem is we've got a pretty narrow field of vision, and magnifying the entire screen just makes it that much harder to find stuff in that narrow field of view. Uh, and so um, at the uh, accessibility hackathon that uh, we uh, do every every year in October, um, we had the uh, we we they put together um, a prototype that uh, we then tested with Amazonians with macular degeneration and retinitis pigmentosa, and refined the product, and uh, that is now. Text banner. Text banner shows um, in a in a uh, rectangle on the screen a little text banner all of the textual information of the thing that you are interacting with in the user interface. Text banner works brilliantly alongside Voice View. You can even use it with the magnifier so that the overall screen is magnified and the text banner is in the font size, font color font style that you want on the screen. And it looks like I am now co-host. So let me give you a quick demo of TextBanner. Here we go. Let's take a quick look at what that is like. So here I have Fire TV. I simply go over to settings, over to accessibility, and I can go and turn on TextBanner. Once I turn TextBanner on, you see a banner appears on the screen containing the text of the focused item and the related text. So here, text banner on is visible, and then way off to the right is text associated with that. If you've got a narrow field of view, it's going to be really difficult to figure out what you should be looking at. And so text banner puts it all in one place. Similarly, on the home screen, as I come down here to something like Star Trek, you see all of the uh, ancillary information available to me there. And with the fast forward buttons, I can go backward and forward through it. So that gives you a, a quick sense of that feature. Let me uh, turn the baton back over to Josh. So um, I'm going to... You know, we're talking about uh, Fire TV. Um, we've mentioned Voice View on Fire TV. Voice View is a screen reader that works. Um, you know, it, it uh, behaves a little differently on Fire TV, but it's the same basic idea. Instead of using swipe gestures on a tablet, you simply use your remote to interact with uh, Voice View. When it's turned on, um, you can use you know your arrow keys and all the other keys on your remote to do the things that you would want to do. And as it uh, as as focus shifts around on the TV, the relevant things get spoken out loud. Um, and um, it's uh, you know as as with our other voice view experiences, we continue to improve it. What we're bringing to you. Uh, not quite yet, but shortly, um, and usually we're not very, um, uh, we're pretty 
pretty reluctant to talk about what we're going to do, but since this is really already um, in the release pipeline, we're going to tell you about it, so you get a sneak preview. Um, we have a feature called um, a feature called Quick Settings, which allows you instead of diving all the way into your uh, the TV settings to adjust your voice view speech rate and your voice view volume, we actually let you do it from anywhere now. Just um, with some quick commands on the remote. And Peter has a, a demo of that that I recorded last night, um, and uh, he's going to play it now. Hi there. This is a quick demo of an upcoming voice view feature for Fire TV. It allows you to set your voice rate and voice volume at any time while you're watching TV. You no longer need to dive into the uh, settings and adjust them in there and then come back out. So it's really quick and easy to do and you can do it at any time. All you need to do is hold down the play pause button as a modifier and use the left and right up and down keys on your remote to adjust the speech rate and the speech volume. So here I am, I've got my Fire TV, I'm holding my remote. I'm gonna press the right key so you can hear. This is just normal Fire TV. Your videos, so, four of nine. So that is too slow for me. Three, five of nine. So that is too slow. So I'm gonna hold down the button, the uh, play pause as a modifier, and I'm going to press the up. Press up or down to adjust speech rate. Press left or right to cycle through speech settings. So I'm gonna press up a couple times to speed up the speech rate. 1.2, 1.5x. 1.75x, 2x. Okay, that's more like it. So now I let go of the modifier key and now I can use my arrow keys to navigate around the TV. Your videos, four of nine. So that's much nicer. I can deal with that much better. Live, three of nine. Okay, now if I wanted it a little bit louder or quieter, what I can do is I can again hold down the play pause as a modifier and I'm gonna press the right. Press up speech volume. So now I'm on speech volume. Press I could have pressed, could have pressed right. Could have pressed right or left to go to the other setting. There's only two, and they cycle around. So if I press the up... 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. So that's pretty loud. I'm going to go 60, all the way 40, back down. 30. So that's... Um, 30, 20. 20 is the minimum. I'm going to let go. And now, and I as I navigate around... Two nine. Now it's at my new volume. And those uh, those are settings that will persist across restarts and all of that. So it's quick and easy to change your settings. No longer uh, do you need to dive all the way into the uh, settings. That's that. So, um... So that's going to be um, that'll be you know uh, landing on your uh, your Fire TVs uh, relatively relatively soon, and um, and of course we're always trying to make improvements. So stay stay tuned on that. Um, sort of circling back to the audio description world. Um, on Fire TV, we have also added a, uh, a setting that says "Prefer Audio Description," so that um, so that when uh, when audio description is available, so long as we know that it's audio description, we will um, we will prefer it for you. We'll play it if it's available. Of course, this doesn't apply to um, some of the broadcast. Many um, of our TVs uh, do um, uh, interact with broadcast TV, um, including our uh, our DVR options. Peter might talk a little bit more about that. Some of those, uh, some of those audio description um, features are not always labeled as audio description, as you know. So we, we don't always know about that. Um, maybe, maybe we'll see improvements in that in the future coming from a better, you know, better direction to everyone. Um, but we do, as uh, uh, Amazon Prime 
has, um, as I think was mentioned earlier, Amazon Prime has more than doubled its uh, its audio description offerings in the last year, and we're extremely proud of that. We have um, we have listened and made it um, one of our uh, you know, an extremely high priority to make sure that uh, we have as much audio description as possible, and um, and we're uh, we've made good on that, and we're gonna we're gonna continue to push hard on that to make sure that as as we um, as we move forward, even more audio description is available to you. Um, Peter, you want to? I think uh, we've got a bunch of uh, details about what's available in what countries. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So. Um... Uh, you know, we we offer Prime Video uh, in a bunch of different countries, and we have been working hard to increase our uh, titles uh, in many of the, many of those other countries as well. Uh, as of uh, the end of last month, when I last counted, we have over 1,800 titles in the U.S. catalog, as captured on the audio description project pages. We have this um, ad-supported a completely free service. You don't need to be a Prime member to watch free IMDb TV, and we've got 27 titles there. Um, in Canada, if you happen to be traveling to Canada, um, you can watch over 900 audio-described titles there, 800 in the UK. France has over 300, uh, as does Mexico, and Brazil is the, the most recent to join the family with over 200 titles. Um, I also want to mention something. I, I said at the outset that the Fire OS is a uh, variant of Android with uh, additional goodness from Amazon, including accessibility goodness. Um, all of that new accessibility goodness is documented on our developer website, developer.amazon.com. So, um, Folks from uh, writing apps or streaming uh, services for Fire TV can make them as brilliantly accessible and interoperable with things like the text banner by using those accessibility APIs. I'd like to now switch gears to Smart Home. We have not only uh, been working with a wealth of companies on lots of smart home devices that work with the uh, with Alexa, uh, but we're introducing a variety of smart home devices ourselves. Um, we make um, the Amazon Basics Microwave that was introduced shortly before uh, the ACB convention last year um, for $59.99. We have now a big brother, the Amazon Smart Oven. The Smart Oven is available for $249.99 with a bundled Echo Dot. It's substantially larger. It is a multi-purpose device, a microwave, a convection oven, and an air fryer, completely controllable via voice. Uh, sometimes, of course, you might want to just go up to the microphone and press its buttons. And so we have a free tactile braille overlay that you can buy at the same time as the uh, smart oven or microwave, or you can uh, buy it later. Uh, if you buy it at the same time, the bundle price makes the overlay free. 
If you've bought a microphone, a microwave or smart oven already, uh, and you go to simply um, make a purchase of the $1 tactile overlay, we notice that you're the same person who bought a microwave, and so it becomes free when it lands in your cart. Um, we also have a, a smart plug uh, whose price I forgot to capture. Uh, and speaking of um, Alexa devices, uh, since last year, we have um, completely refreshed uh, our family of Alexa devices. First, the uh, we have a, a greatly expanded set of Alexa devices with screens. We call these Echo Show devices. Uh, the uh, original Echo Show has now been replaced with an all-new Echo Show with a 10-inch diagonal screen and even better sound for $229.99. Um, a step smaller than that is the Echo Show 8, an 8-inch diagonal screen for $129.99. And then uh, the Echo Show 5, which you could probably guess is a 5-inch diagonal screen. I have one by my bedside. It makes a fantastic bedside uh, clock radio alarm uh, for $89.99. And all of these not only have a screen, but a camera so that uh, if you wanted to do um, video calls with them, you can. Uh, all of these devices' cameras have a physical shutter that you can close with a sliding switch on the top. For our non-screened Echo devices, we have an all-new third-generation Echo um, with nice, rounded, soft edges, comes in a variety of cloth coverings, uh, and better sound at $99.99. An all-new third-generation dot uh, with better sound. You may notice a theme here. The sound keeps getting better every generation at $49.99. Over the first few years of, of Alexa's life, we received more than 1 billion requests for the time. So we thought, why not build the clock? into the Echo Dot with the imaginative name of the Echo Dot with Clock. This is your typical multi-segment display that's visible through the soft cloth grill of the Echo Dot at $59.99. Finally, the Echo Dot Kids Edition, which comes with uh, uh, free time for kids, a, a subscription service, but the first years are free with uh, the purchase with a lot of kid-friendly um, books that uh, she can read to you or audiobooks or other, other great kids-focused content. The big brother of all of these Echo devices is a brand new Echo Studio. The Echo Studio is physically the largest device we make. It's still cylindrical in shape, but it's maybe the height and volume of a volleyball or a basketball. Five built-in speakers, uh, a bass speaker with great sounding uh, subwoofery like low bass, um, mid-range speakers, a ceiling firing speaker because you can take two of these 
and pair them with a Fire TV and have Dolby Atmos sound with those ceiling firing speakers that then give you the height channel when they bounce off of the ceiling and all of the great surround spatialization. Those are available for $199.99. Echo Flex going in the other direction is a plug into the wall Echo device. It has a small 0.6 inch speaker. It's sort of designed to go in hallways or other places uh, where you don't want to be without her. Um, and you can plug in a couple of USB accessories to the Echo Flex. A smart light with a motion sensor is one of these, so that uh, you can have your night light and Alexa too at the same time. Um, the Echo Flex is $24.99. The smart light accessory is $14.99. Um, you can now take Alexa into the car with you with Echo Auto. This $49.99 uh, product um, uses your car's stereo speakers for output with a mic array that is optimized for listening to human commands inside the very um, hot uh, environments, not uh, sound hot environment of the glass-filled car so that uh, you can easily talk with her. She will pair, the Echo Auto pairs with your phone and uses your phone for internet connectivity and becomes a speakerphone for your car that again is optimized with the mic array to beam form uh, the audio coming from the driver's side, the passenger side, whatever may be, uh, to give a very clear signal to whoever is on the other end of your Echo Auto phone call. And now we've also gotten into the wearable business. Again, we don't want people to have to go without her while they're out and about. So we have three new Echo devices. Echo Buds are a pair of earbuds. Uh, they sound great. Uh, you can use them over Bluetooth with your phone, your tablet, any Bluetooth device. Fire TV uh, is a uh, can also play audio for you over Bluetooth. And with the Echo Buds, they have Alexa wake word detection. So you don't need to tap them or anything to, to get her attention. You just call her name. They have three microphones in each earbud, two microphones that are in line with your mouth so they can beam form the audio coming from your mouth. So again, great sounding audio if you're using Echo Buds for a phone call to reject any other sounds from the uh, environment around you. The third microphone is inside your ear canal uh, and that means that uh, the Echo Buds can know when you're talking versus someone around you. So if somebody walks up to you, sees your Buds, and says, hey, Alexa, um, then they, uh, they don't uh, wake her up. We've got uh, two more. That's for $129.99. We've gotten into the glasses frame business with the Echo Frames. These have a small speaker right by your ear, uh, microphones to pick you up, a touch panel on the frame so you can use that to adjust volume or 
otherwise have some interactions with Alexa. No camera, no uh, heads-up display, just audio, but another great way to have Alexa with you without putting something in your ear. Uh, that's $179.99, invite only right now. We expect the price will go up to $249.99 uh, once it opens to general availability. And the Echo Loop, this is a little ring. You can wear Alexa on your finger. It's got a little vibrating haptic bit inside it. So when you receive a phone call, it'll vibrate. It's a little button you can touch on it and then hold your hand up to your ear and mouth, sort of cupping your ear and mouth. And you can now have this as your remote phone. Pairs again like the buds and frames with uh, your phone over Bluetooth. Um, that's $129.99, $179.99 after the invite-only period ends. Um, I now want to move uh, to our uh, new access features and turn the baton back to Josh. Hey there. Um, so... Uh... The um, I think we're we're sort of running uh, a little bit out of time, so we're going to abbreviate things. Um, so uh, oh, we have we have more time than I thought, I guess. So so yeah, so let's let's um, we'll we'll do that. But let me let me sort of frame this for you. Um, Peter's been uh, mentioning all of our various uh, Echo products. Extremely cool. Um, again, on all of our Echo products, um, we've got. Uh, you know, if if it's if it's an Echo Show with a screen, our screen reader works on it. Um, you can use the the screen reader to see what's on the screen. Um, but uh, but in general, we as as blind people and people with uh, visual impairments, we um, we use as much of the of the speech interface as we possibly can. And so. Um, one of the one of the nice things that we have is uh, lots of lots of ways of consuming different types of uh, audio experiences. So I just want to make sure everybody remembers that using your Echo device, whether it's got a screen or not, you can um, you can listen to your Kindle books, you can listen to your Audible books, you can um, of course do all sorts of things like asking about the you know the weather and so on. You can make calls. Um, one of the things that we, you know, we've certainly, um, you know, the the cameras are great for video calls, but that doesn't help us that much. On the other hand, what we've um, what we've worked on and released, we released last September, I believe, is a new function called Show and Tell, which allows you to use any. Uh, Echo Show device with a camera to do product identification. So it's um, it's already there. All you need to do is hold up the product in front of the camera and ask her to, you know, you say, hey, lady, what am I holding or what's in my hand? And um, if it's the first time you've done it, she'll give you a little bit of a tutorial to explain where you should hold the the object and what types of stuff you, um, you, you know, what uh, what the feedback sounds mean, but once you um, once you've learned how to use it, it's quick and easy. And the great thing is that it uses a bunch of different AI techniques to identify the products. It's not just looking for a barcode; it's um, using object recognition and brand recognition and OCR, uh, all in conjunction with each other, as well as barcode recognition, to figure out what you're holding. And it gives you whatever information it can. 
the nice thing is that that means that the product doesn't necessarily need to be in a database. Um, if all we can do is read the label, then that's what we will do. Um, that means that for products like uh, from Trader Joe's that aren't readily available in barcode databases, we can um, we can do a good job with those and many other products as well. So it's it's a great feature. Um, it's been an, uh, an honor to work on that product with the team that uh, that put that together. Um, and uh, I think the uh, we do have a little video that we can play of it. Uh, it's sort of a combo between a demo and a promo video and it's got audio description. So we'll we'll play that for you now. Um, a house. I am totally blind. It's been eight years this December. I went through every single room and reorganized it so that I knew where every single thing was because in my house, I was not going to feel blind. Alexa, what am I holding? It looks like tea forte world of teas. But when you have other people in the household, things get moved all the time. At Vista Center. Hi, Brett. Hi, Stacy. Ready to go? I guess so. All right. Let's go test it out. Okay. Stacy Grijalva. My job is to help people with visual impairments and to see how technology can affect people's lives and make them feel better about what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. Brett Fowler. I lost my vision when I was 10 years old. I, I'm a stay-at-home dad, and I, you know, I do a lot of cooking. There's a lot of things I can't see. The whole idea for Show and Tell came about from customer feedback, actually. Challenges around identifying things in their pantry. A can of food. And we thought, yeah, we can do this. We can help here. Sarah Kapliner. I'm going to give you a product and then you're going to say, Alexa, what am I holding? Let's see. Brett holds up a box. It looks like 365 everyday value macaroni. Great. That's awesome. He holds a jar. I think that's garlic powder. Wow, that's impressive. It's critical for us that we're working with our customers, building with them, not just building for them. They really need our feedback to tell them what we need. You'll hear sounds to help you position your item. Holly Clark moves a can. It looks like organic canned pineapple. Whoa, is that what it is? Oh my gosh. All these devices that are acting as your eyes, I think it's very revolutionary. For me, the less stress I have to put on somebody else is less stress on me. Brett smiles. And it makes me feel good. The Amazon logo. So that's um, that gives you a good sense of uh, you know how show and tell works, and it does work on all of the Echo devices. So I'm uh, sorry, the um, the Echo Show devices. So any any uh, any of our Echo devices that has a camera can do this, and um, and it's it's a nice it's a nice capability. You you know a lot of people keep them in their kitchens, and so it's really great for when you get deliveries or when you're uh, organizing your your groceries after shopping. It's great to um, uh, it's a very convenient way of of doing product identification. So, um, we're also really interested in making sure that um, that Alexa, uh, you know, as as we're accustomed to asking her for information, we'd like her to be able to give you more information about accessibility, about how to use accessible um, Amazon offerings. So we're um, we're leaning into that. We're hoping to bring you more as time goes forward. But um, but right now, you can certainly ask her uh, what is accessibility. Um, we did a bunch of uh, a bunch of new information for Global Accessibility Awareness Day that was. Um, a month or so ago, and um, and we're uh, we're 
planning on uh, a number of new uh, a number of new um, what we call editorials or pieces of information that you can ask about, including how to use um, our magnifier, our screen reader, and so on. So those aren't available yet. Another sneak preview for you. Um, and um, and I think that uh, I've reached. Um, I want to sort of double back a little bit and just just. We, we, we were having some technical issues when we started talking about Braille screen input, but I just want to sort of um, make sure you know that it's that the Braille screen input on our tablets has a bunch of, um, uh, it lets you do tabletop mode and screen away mode. It lets you um, Braille in, um, in contracted Braille or uncontracted Braille, and it works with any, um, any edit field that you might be working with. So you can just as easily use Braille screen input for um, for typing search terms into your Amazon uh, Amazon shopping app or for um, for writing an email. Um, Josh, can we see the demo? Uh, do we have time for that? Yeah. Yeah. We, well, we can, well, how long is it? <laughs> it's it's about I think it's about four minutes. I think it you guys want to see the demo? Yeah. It's, it's totally up to you. Okay, great. So hi, I'm. There we go. Hi, I'm going to demo Braille screen input on a Fire tablet. Braille screen input is just a way of typing text using Braille instead of a standard QWERTY keyboard. And it works on all Fire tablets, and it works in any edit field. So today I'll be demoing inside the Amazon Shopping app, which I have launched already. So I'm going to show you. Here we are. Voice search. Double tap. Search. Edit is editing. So the um, the edit field is is editing. If I touch down at the bottom of the screen, I'll see that there's a keyboard. C V B N K L search. So that's a uh, standard QWERTY keyboard, a virtual keyboard. It's not always very much fun to type on. So anytime I see that keyboard, if I want to launch Braille screen input instead, all I need to do is triple tap with two fingers anywhere on the screen. So I'll do that now. Braille screen input UEB tabletop power button to the right. Swipe with four fingers for help. So we heard a few things there. It said that Braille screen input was active. It told me that it was using UEB, so I know that when I type, I need to be using contracted Braille. It also told me that it's in tabletop mode, and the orientation for using tabletop mode is with the power button to the right. So keeping me nice and clear on how to orient the device. And then finally, it told me swipe with four fingers for help. And that's really awesome. I can swipe um, once I'm in Braille screen input. I can swipe anytime with four fingers to get um, to hear help tips on Braille screen input. I'll do that now just to see what kind of tips I'll get. To calibrate, tap three fingers with the right hand, then tap three fingers with the left hand. To hear the next tip, swipe with four fingers. Instead of hearing the next tip, I'll show you more tips in a minute, but instead of hearing the next tip, I'm going to do what it said to do. I'm going to calibrate uh, so that I can start typing. I'll first tap three fingers with my right hand, then three fingers with my left hand to show it where I want the dots to be. Here I go. Calibrated. Tabletop. Swipe with four fingers for help. So I can still swipe with four fingers, or I can just start typing. Let's say I want to, um, uh, I want to shop for men's jeans. So I'll type men's, and then space, and then jeans. Um, it'll echo the characters as I type them. M, two, five. Oops, I don't want two, five. So I'm going to backspace. I'm going to use a single finger to swipe left. Two, five. And I'm going to try that again. Two, six. That's E-N. S, So that's Sierra. men's. If I swipe right with one finger, that, that's the space, and it'll echo the word. Men's. And let's type jeans. D. Oops, not Delta. D. So D. I'll, 
backspace that again. So my fingers have drifted a little bit since I haven't been typing. I've been talking instead of typing. So I'm going to recalibrate. Four calibrated tabletop swipe with four fingers will help. So now I'm going to type jeans without talking. J-N-S, jeans. So that's great. I type jeans and then I swipe to the right with one finger. Let's say I want to delete the word jeans and type shirts instead. I can swipe left with two fingers to delete the whole word. Jeans. And I can type shirts. One, four, six. I, R, T, S. And if I swipe, swipe right with a finger, it'll put a space and speak the word. Shirts. So I've also showed you that I've been... <clears throat> The character echoing has been words and characters, but let's say I didn't want all of that echoing. I can adjust the uh, keyboard echo. I scrub with two fingers. A scrub is uh, moving your fingers up and then back down and then letting go. So if I scrub with two fingers, I can adjust the keyboard echo. Word echo. So that's just words. No echo. That's no echo. Word and letter echo. And obviously words and letters, which is what we had before. Um, another thing that we can do in Braille screen input is I can do screen away mode instead of tabletop mode. Tabletop mode is where I have the device lying on the table with the screen facing up. Screen away mode is exactly what it sounds like. It's when you put the um, face the screen away from you and hold the device between two fingers, two, sorry, two hands, and you can type on the screen with it facing away from you. That's useful when um, you don't have a table to rest things on. I'm not going to demo that actually right now, but it um, it works pretty much the same way as tabletop mode does. Um, the thing that I want to show you is some of the um, some of the other tips, because that'll tell you more about how the Braille screen input works. So I'm going to swipe with four fingers to hear the next tip. To exit Braille screen input, perform a two-finger triple tap away from the keys. To hear the next tip, swipe with four fingers. Um, so that's nice. The way to get into and out of Braille screen input is a two-finger triple tap to get in and to get out. It's easy to remember. I'm going to swipe with four fingers again. To switch between tabletop and screen away mode, scrub with three fingers. To hear the next tip for tabletop mode, put the power button to the right. For screen away mode, put the power button at the top. To hear the next tip to type a space, swipe right. To press enter, swipe right with two fingers. To hear the next tip, swipe with four fingers. So that's a cool thing. Instead of, um, so if I had typed and then was finished typing and I wanted to perform the search, I could just swipe to the right with two fingers. And that's the equivalent of hitting return and also exiting braille screen input. So it, it executes the search and pulls me out of the Braille screen input mode so I can interact with my search results. I'm going to scrub with two, with, sorry, I'm going to swipe with four fingers to hear the next tip. To delete the last character, swipe left. To delete the last word, swipe left with two fingers. So we, to hear the next tip, swipe with four fingers. So we knew about that. So, um, so yeah, so I think I've pretty much showed you uh, what I wanted to. So this can be used anywhere. Anytime you're typing into an edit field, you can have it be, um, you can adjust whether or not you want it contracted or uncontracted in the um, uh, Braille settings of the, of the accessibility settings. And um, this is a new feature of... So um, thanks. Thanks a ton, Peter. Um, I think we're pretty close to done. I, there's one last little thing I wanted to point out, which is we talked about um, how uh, Peter mentioned the, the, the nice, um, uh, you know, the developer site and how other people can develop uh, uh, stuff for TV and also for um, 
also for uh, tablets. Um, you should be aware that um, that Bard Mobile is available on a Fire tablet. It's probably one of the lowest cost uh, ways to have access to Bard Mobile is by buying a Fire tablet and installing it on there. And uh, then you've got a, a, a full uh, separate um, audio reader for um, uh, for for Bard content, as well as Kindle, Audible, Prime Video, etc. So um, I think we're going to move to questions, right? Yes. Yes, questions. Paul Hunt? Yes, uh, a couple of questions. First of all, I, um, I have a Echo Dot, and I'm trying to get it to work with my Samsung TV with the, uh, with the uh, smart screen, the smart things skill from Samsung. I work with Samsung, and they said it's Amazon. I get to Amazon, and they say it's Samsung. Is there some way I can get somebody who really knows what they're doing and that can help me cut through the interoperability issue? And the other question I have is for Peter. Peter, did you, by any chance, early in your career, write this book called The Corn Shell? Because I used that <laughs> back in the 1980s. Do you remember that? Um, I do, and I did and still do love Unix, but uh, that was David Corn behind the corn shell. Oh. And not my brother, David Corn, a different... David Korn, so so no relation. Um, I'm also more of a of a Z shell guy anyway. Um, as far as Samsung and Echo Dot, I'm afraid I'm not going to be any better. That's not a combination I've ever used. Um, so where if you bought it from a place like Best Buy, the the Geek Squad at Best Buy sell both, and they might be a good source to help you work through that interoperability issue. Donna? I want to thank you for um, all the accessibility put into your products and for making them affordable. Um, I have the Fire TV. I love it. But my it was not um, accessible out of the box. I mean, when I took it out, plugged in, it didn't, you know, make work. I didn't, it didn't talk to, you know, let me use that right away. Is there something I did wrong and a way that I could fix that for future because I will be getting another one. And do you have bigger versions other than the highest being 50? Because I want one to be 65 or 70. Uh, so we don't have any larger models uh, available today. Um, we did have a 65 in the past. We may have more sizes in the future. I'm, I'm not at liberty to speculate. Um, but um, all of these devices are uh, accessible out of the box if you know what to listen for. And uh, we have uh, some guidance on our customer service pages for Voice View on Fire TV. Once it's plugged in and turns on, it will start making a periodic tone, uh, which lets you know that it's booted up and alive and, and ready to go. You then press the play pause button on the remote to introduce the remote to the TV. In some cases, they'll already be pre-introduced. And once that introduction has happened, you hear a boo-deep sound every so often, boo-deep. And that's your cue to uh, turn voice view on by holding the back and fast forward buttons for two seconds. Voice view is now then on and the rest of the out-of-the-box experience will happen with voice view. You'll be offered the tutorial like any first-time voice view um, uh, device use. Uh, you can skip that tutorial because you already know how to use voice view from your other Fire TV. 
So um, we've we've tried to balance accessible out of the box without scaring the sighted folks away with why is my TV talking to me? And uh, we're we're continuing to try to improve that balance. Steve Bauer. Hi, this is actually Guillermo Robles on uh, Steve Bauer's computer. I just wanted to say thank you so much for this presentation. Uh, it has been extremely helpful. And my question relates to the Amazon TV. I am totally addicted. <laughs> um, uh, good job with the audio description uh, components that you guys are, are working with with regard to the, uh, the TV side. My question to you has to do with subtitles. Um, I like to watch a lot of international uh, content, and I know that with Apple, um, there is an option with voiceover to read aloud uh, the subtitles. Is that going to be an option moving forward? Uh, so we've we've used this uh, used this uh, conference and talk to give you some previews of some things, um, but uh, not able to say whether or when that feature will land. Other than to observe that uh, blind employees at Amazon would really like that as well. Yeah, I, I think it would be most helpful. <laughs> All right, thank you. Hello, hello. Yeah, go, go ahead, ahead Lisa. Lisa. Hi, um, my question, and um, thank you for, for presenting, is um, right now during COVID, um, Audible has this, has um, a certain amount of selected titles that are streaming for free. Um, are any of those titles able to be streamed for free on Alexa or in the Audible app? Thank you. I don't see why not. Um, Audible titles generally uh, play on the uh, are available over auto, over um, Alexa devices. Um, I'm not aware of any reason why there would be any limitation there. Have you, Lisa? Have you run into an issue she's, with it? She's she's been muted already. Oh, okay. So we're, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're not. Uh, we're you know, Amazon is big, and we are not. Um, embedded in in audible so there may be stuff there that we don't know about but it sounds like peter said there should be no reason why not if there is if you have run across a problem uh please send us some email you can send uh any email to the address that peter gave earlier which is device accessibility at amazon.com we have an email address crispin at att christy christy oh, christy okay you you're up now Thank you so much for thank you so much for your presentation. And just a second. Okay, you can hear me? Yes. yes. Okay, good. So um I'm wondering um if there's a way for us to be able to listen to audio described uh content on our Echo or Echo Dot or Echo Studio. It's a great question. Thank you. So right now you can listen to audio described content on your Echo Show. Um, so if you have an Echo Show, um, you can um, uh, use your voice to request any you know any video that you want. If it has audio description available, then you can use the Voice View screen reader to turn uh, to go into the language settings and turn on that audio description, or um, you can go into the um, 
yeah, okay. So that, yeah. Um, sorry, I was going to say something incorrect. I'm backpedaling on it. So um, today, you cannot use your um, devices without screens to listen to um, to any video with or without audio description. Um, uh, I think it's a great question. There, there is one um, small step in that direction. I believe you can um, start watching a movie on an iPhone in the Amazon Prime app with audio description and then let the, the screen go to sleep and like an audio book that's playing in the background or a podcast, uh, that will continue consuming less power than it would need if it was drawing drawing images on your screen yeah thanks for mentioning that that's and that's a great feature i've used that a lot like when it's you know because you don't want to have to hold your phone you want to shove it in your pocket so it's nice to let it go to sleep and you can keep hearing the audio description beth you're up next beth no biff i just want to mention for the last few minutes so you can certainly keep asking questions of Peter and Josh, but if anyone has any other kinds of questions they would like to ask the IAC, um, yep. you can ask. Hey, this is Beth. I'm, I'm sorry, I just got the notification. May I still ask my quick question, please? Go ahead, Beth. Thank you so much for your presentation, guys. And I wanted to say that a lot of people, well, at least I guess a sizable amount, really never want to have a phone or, or a tablet or a computer. And I was wondering if there'll ever become a day when the A-Lady uh, equipment will, will be self-contained, will be able to do everything without use of an app or a website, even, even including creating an Amazon account. Thank you. Thank you very much for that request. Um, that's, uh, we're, we're not at liberty to talk about unreleased products, but that's a, an excellent question, and uh, we'll make sure that the team is aware of it. More questions? Yeah. Yes. Um, great presentation. You mentioned that infrared device that you can use to change your channel. Is that only if you have one of your Fire TV products, or is that for any fairly new television? Um, so I'm, I'm just double-checking on the... Um, IR Blaster. It's called the Fire TV Blaster. I don't believe it needs uh, a Fire TV, but it does need uh, an Alexa device that you pair it to in order to uh, have it blast things. So the, the, the Fire TV Blaster accessory is $34.99, and uh, it's very similar to what's built into the Fire TV Cube. There's a port with an IR extender that you plug in an IR extender so you can sort of uh, make that cable down into a hard-to-reach spot. But you do need, oh, I take it back. Uh, it looks like you do need a compatible Fire TV device as well as, as, well as the Echo. Am I next? Oh, yes. Okay. <clears throat> I have a, a couple questions and a, and, a, um, and a comment. The first thing is... I'd like to know, my first question is, uh, I'm seeing um, exercise equipment on the, um, on the Amazon page, and, and in particular treadmills and ellipticals. I'd like to know if they're Bluetooth devices, is there any way in the future that they could be working with Alexa, because the Peloton equipment really is quite expensive, and, and, and I really don't want to go to the gym because 
price. The second question I want to know is on the fire tablet with braille input, is it only UEB braille we're allowed to use or will it have grade two um, uh, contracted braille? And then the only other comment I have is on the on the um, on the on the TV when you when you first booted up when you were explaining that, I think it should be more like Apple in that it comes up and it says if you don't want to hear about accessibility, do this. But uh, for those of you who want to hear about accessibility, do this or stay tuned and we're gonna and we're gonna present it instead of having a couple of beeps because you don't know how loud the beeps are. And it's just something that, that uh, from what you just previously said, I think that should be implemented rather than. Josh, you wanna, you wanna lead off? Sure, um, thanks for those. Um, uh, we are, um, thank you for your, your ideas about uh, making it easier for people to um, set up their Fire TVs out of the box. As Peter mentioned, we um, can't really discuss what we're doing in that area, but we really appreciate your um, your thoughtful feedback. Um, the remind me what the other part of the question oh, was. She's been muted. She wanted to know about the. Um, oh, now I can't. Braille screen input. The, yeah, oh, the, the Braille screen Huey input. B. Huey B. Of course, of course. Yeah. So um, right now, uh, today, the VoiceView screen reader supports um, uncontracted computer Braille or UEB. Um, we do not support. Um, we do not currently support uh, sort of the deprecated grade two standard. Um, that is, uh, again, uh, thank you for, for your question. It sounds like you would like that, and um, that that input is is valuable to us. So, um, uh, but currently, the it's it's UEB or computer braille. And on the question of, of non Peloton exercise gear, working with Alexa, um, we we are continuing to uh, onboard more and more companies with more and more products with Alexa. Um, I can't say uh, who is next. I don't actually know who is next, um, but um, more and more are joining every week. One thing I, I do want to mention, um, in part because uh, of ACB's work with companies in this space, when we came out with the micro microwave um, a little over a year ago, year and a half ago, um, the microwave is actually two Amazon products. There's a Trojan horse Amazon product hiding inside the microwave, which is a little chip that we license to other companies to Alexa enable their devices. So it's the, I forget the full name, uh, but we can, we can get it up on the website later. Um, but it's basically a, a, an Alexa hardware uh, kit that you can add for, I don't know, a, a dollar or two to any product to Alexa enable it. It, it includes the Bluetooth compatibility um, and other bits. Uh, and more and more companies are using that chip to Alexa enable their devices uh, much more rapidly and at lower cost than developing that compatibility themselves. That's awesome, Peter. Uh, well, we're just about out of time, yeah. and this Zoom uh, room actually is used by the next presenter as well. So I want to thank very much uh, Peter Korn and Josh from Amazon. 
the rest of the uh, Information Access Committee for coming and presenting today. It's been a great session. I want to thank... Um, I do have a CEU code to give okay. as well. So, okay. Okay, can I do that real quick? It's uh, yeah. if, if you uh, requested CEU credit, this is for continuing education. The ending code for this session is 898F as in Frank, E as in Edward. That is 898F as in Frank, E as in Edward. Sorry, Jeff. Thanks. No, not a problem. Thank you, everyone. And we'll see you Wednesday night on Smart Homes. Thanks very much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. You're listening to coverage of the 2020 convention of the American Council of the Blind.